Ladies and gentlemen, back again with another episode of the Bow Down Podcast. And John, I don't know about you, but I am still riding the high from the Mario Bailey episode. If you haven't tuned in to the last episode on this stream, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify Podcasts, you can check us out on our Instagram page. You can check us out on the Believe Network page. We are everywhere. The episode blew up. I'm so excited. I'm so happy about the way it came out. How awesome was talking with Mario Bailey? Wow. You can't say enough about Mario Bailey. Uh, such a class act, such a you know football junkie. You could tell that the Washington Husky roots are deep in him. He loves the program. He loves being a part. You heard it himself when he said he, uh, he stayed the course. He thought about transferring. He would have transferred if it was today, but he stayed the course. And look what happened, winning a national championship his senior year, offensive player of the year for the Pac-10, All-American in the entire country, over a 1,000 receiving yards, some receiving records that still stand today for the Washington Huskies, which, like he said, 30 years strong still. And uh, Michael Penix offense with, all these teams throwing the ball all over the field, especially in a conference like the Pac-12, those records still ring true to this very day, which is all very special in itself. But, I mean, you can't say enough about him. Such a cool dude. I've been looking for Frankfurt Galaxy jersey the last few days. If anybody has one, please send it my way. Uh, if anyone has a Mario Bailey jersey, Please send it my way. I will wear that thing every single time we record. We, we record. Yeah, it, it's he's, he was a, a tremendous football player, uh, such an integral part of that 91 national team. But I'll say from the time that we interacted with him off the camera and on the camera, he's a great guy too. So shout out to Mario Bailey. Thank you again for making some time for the Bow Down podcast. And we are looking forward to what the future holds for not only this podcast, but this team. And in the, in the very near future, John, the moment we've all been waiting for, about 20, excuse me, about 48 hours away, the Sugar Bowl, number two, Washington at 13 and 0, taking on number three, Texas at 12 and 1 in the Sugar Bowl. Spread Texas minus four, which we've talked about at nauseum at this point. We love being the underdog. Michael Penix be, loves being the underdog. So we can't be mad about that but should be a matchup for the ages between head coaches, Kalen DeBoer, 24-2, and two, and Steve Sarkeesian, 25-13, and 13, career as head coaches. You have Quinn Ewers, Texas quarterback, versus Michael Penix Jr. You have the Texas defensive line versus the award-winning Washington offensive line. The Texas wide receivers versus Jabbar Muhammad and the Washington defensive backs. A ton of matchups, receivers versus D-backs, linebackers versus running backs, you name it. We're going to talk about it over this next hour or so on this episode. Plenty of must-watch matchups in this Sugar Bowl game. We're super excited to talk about it. But before we dive into that, John, we have a few more transfer portal updates. What do you have for us for these Huskies? The Huskies have used the transfer portal this year more than they have ever used it since it started. Uh, Kalen DeBoer has done a hell of a job. Everybody on that coaching staff has done a hell of a job thus far. They landed former 
Cal number one wide receiver, Jeremiah Hunter, who was one of the top receivers still left in the transfer portal. And he kind of fits that same build as being a Roma Dunze style type of receiver. Um, six foot two, 200 pounds, definitely a big body possession receiver. Uh, he played with the Cal Bears in probably one of the worst passing teams in the country. And this season alone, he was still able to get 62 receptions, 703 yards, and seven touchdowns. Uh, he's going to bring 2,056 career receiving yards to Seattle with him and 13 career touchdowns. Um, he should just be a come in, you know, establish the chemistry with the whoever's the quarterback, whether it's Will Rogers or they one of the younger guns. Uh, get that chemistry in the spring going, get that chemistry in the fall going, and he should have no problem stepping up to the plate, filling that void that, although Roma Dunze is only a junior, it's safe to say that he will be declaring for the NFL draft because, as you and I both say, almost every single episode, he's the best player on the field at any given moment, at any given time. So Jeremiah Hunter is definitely going to fill that role left by Rome. And then they also were able to get Fresno State tight end Trey Watson, a big body tight end, six foot five, 245 pounds, very athletic. He's another guy. He's just going to come in and play right away. Uh, Jack Westover, we're going to lose to graduation. They'll still have uh, Devin Culp as a backup, but uh, Trey Watson is an athletic freak of nature. Although he doesn't have too much production in his first three years uh, this past season, he managed to have 38 receptions, 378 yards, and four touchdowns. So he's going to be looking to get more of a, a bigger role with this Washington Huskies offense, and he could be a big-time playmaker for this team. Yeah, for the next season's offense, obviously we're going to be losing Rome. Jalen Polk is a transfer portal junior, so he technically has another year of eligibility. I know, I'm know i not sure if he's going to stick around. Same thing with Jalen McMillan. He's a straight junior, and he still has a red shirt year, but he might strike while the iron's hot as well. Um, Giles Jackson, we're going to lose. He's a transfer portal senior. Jeremy Bernard is only a sophomore from the transfer portal. Denzel Boston, a red shirt freshman, will still hopefully, hopefully still be around. So I think the addition of these guys, the uh, Jeremiah Hunter at wide receiver and Trey Watson at tight end will be beneficial to, like you said, whoever is going to be slinging the rock for the Huskies on this offense next year. Um, just, just to hit on um, Giles Jackson, actually, he, he um, put in for a waiver. He will have one more year of eligibility just because he didn't play that much this past season. So they're kind of giving him like a medical red shirt or a red shirt season for this past season. So he'll be back next year. But like you said, everybody else, it's really up in the air. Uh, Ryan Grubb uh, was being interviewed about Jalen McMillan and Jalen Polk and the potential of them coming back. And he was saying how Rome could have declared last year. He came back to solidify his potential solidify his you know receiving uh, milestones and you know just added more to his recruiting profile when it goes to the NFL so that did wonders for him maybe Jalen Polk and Jalen McMillan 
do end up coming back and, you know, kind of showing it one more season for these NFL scouts. But, I mean, we'll be more than happy to have them both return to Seattle. Yeah, sign me up for Jeremiah Hunter, Jalen Polk, and Jalen McMillan as my number one, two, and three all day long. So transfer portal, we talked about that. It's it's time, John. We've kind of been teasing our fans on these last few episodes that we're going to be talking about the Sugar Bowl. It is time for us to break it down, talk about the matchups, talk about who's going to be beneficial for the Huskies, the, the pain points that these Longhorns, a very good football team at 12-1, and one, uh, taking nothing away from them. They're going to be coming in with, with some, some bones to grind and some, some axes to grind, as they say. So talk to me first about the Washington Huskies secondary versus these Texas Longhorns receivers. Tell me about this matchup, who has the edge, who we're going to be looking at on both sides of the ball, and everything in between. Like you said, this, this offense is is no slouch. They went into Alabama. They went into Tuscaloosa and beat an Alabama team that is in the college football playoff with us and beat them really com- very convincingly. It wasn't really a game period. Uh, Quinn Ewers had his best outing since going to Texas. He threw for 349 yards and three touchdowns in that game. Um, and he's a projected NFL pro, all-world recruit coming out of high school, uh, can make all the throws. He can run um, on the season. He's thrown for 3,161 yards, 21 touchdowns, and six interceptions while completing a very high 70% of his passes. Um, and you may think those are pretty modest numbers. He did miss a couple games where they threw him back up Malik Murphy and Arch Manning saw a little bit of time, but he's still very, very good. Nonetheless, uh, they have a three headed monster at the wide receiver position with junior Xavier Worthy on the season, 76 receipt 76 receptions, 969 yards and five touchdowns, uh, speed demon. He, uh, torched the Alabama secondary. Uh, Adane Mitchell, 51 receptions, 813 yards, and 10 touchdowns. Uh, he's Ewers' favorite They get down there. Um, and then they also have a big, big mix match who they're going to try to use as much as they possibly can. And Jatavion Sanders, he kind of reminds me of another Texas Longhorn tight end from those championship winning teams in Jermichael Finley. Uh, very, very athletic uh, on the season, 39 receptions for 609 yards and two touchdowns. So the Huskies defense is definitely going to have their hands full, specifically the secondary. But secondary got some playmakers there to use. Uh, Jabbar Muhammad, second team, all Pac-12 performer. Uh, we've been high on him before the season even started. Just a uh, absolute lockdown corner. He could basically shut down the entire side of the field. It came to a point during the season where we were kind of shaking our heads where he wasn't getting the interceptions and he wasn't getting the pass breakups, but it was because they weren't even looking his way or throwing the right. ball his way, period. Keeping that receiver on on an island. Absolutely. Jabbar Island. Um, He leads the team with 10 pass breakups. He's tied for the team lead with three interceptions and 
has been absolute shutdown for this defense. Um, on the other side, you have sophomore Elijah Jackson, who we also were very high on at the beginning of the season. Uh, he has 52 tackles, five pass breakups, along with two forced fumbles. He's still looking to record his first interception of the season. Hopefully it comes in this Sugar Bowl game, but he he might get beat often, and you see him get, get beat often, but it's only because he's playing on opposite side of one of the best cornerbacks in the Pac-12 in Jabbar. Um, at strong safety, we have the leader of the secondary and the team leader in tackles with 92 tackles on the season. Absolute stud, hard hitter. You've seen the one of the highlights of the season was the first matchup against Oregon where they threw that that swing route and Dominique Hampton just came in and laid the boom on that wide receiver. We also have sophomore Markeel Estine who stepped up towards the end of the year in a more prominent role as the free safety on the opposite side of Dominic Hampton, where, you know, they kind of have that revolving door where you have Asa Turner, Asa, Asa Turner gets some time, uh, Cami Fabiculanen gets some time in there at that safety position, but he has stepped up huge for them, 18 tackles and one interception with in only like four or three games where he really started at the end of the season and then rounding out that secondary in the Husky position, kind of that Rover extra linebacker position is Michelle Powell, who at times has bailed the Huskies out of some very, very rough situations, very sticky situations like that Arizona state game where he had that pick six at the end of the game to seal the victory when the offense couldn't seem to get anything right. He took it into his own hands where, the offense isn't going to score points, so I'll go take this, put the team on my back, and go win this game my damn self. And then he also had that huge interception in that Pac-12 game where Michael Penix threw the interception and Bo Nix threw it right back where Powell was able to establish himself back inbounds and get that interception. And the Huskies were able to go down the field, score some points, and really never look back after that. Um, He's also tied with Jabbar and the team leader with three interceptions. Uh, and it's going to be a huge challenge. It's a huge yeah. challenge playing against, you know, another Bo Nix type of quarterback right. in Queen Ewers, uh, very, very similar. So they have stepped up huge for these Huskies throughout the season. And I think this game is going to be no different. And I think the key is going to be to let's load up the box Let's stop the run game. You know how well Texas likes to run the ball. You know how well they've been running the ball all season long. Let's force Quinn Ewers and this and this receiving core to beat us, which we've done with Oregon. We've done with Oregon State, where you have these pro-style offenses with really good quarterbacks. Let's stop the run, stop the run game, make them uncomfortable, put some pressure on them, and really get after the quarterback. And I think the secondary is going to make some plays for us. And I think the secondary is going to have a very successful outing against these Texas Longhorns. And I want to hit on, uh, yes, everything you said is absolutely vital to us leading, being led to victory in the Sugar Bowl. But talk to me a little bit about what you know about Texas running back Jonathan Brooks. 187 carries, just about 1,200 yards rushing, a 6.1 average with 10 touchdowns. Talk to me about the Washington kind of front seven 
led by Carson Bruner at linebacker. You have Alfonso Tupatala. We have Braylon Trice, ZTF. How are these guys going to help kind of bottle up this running attack for these Texas Longhorns? Because, yes, we know Quinn Ewers had 3,200 yards, 70% completion percentage, 21 touchdowns, six interceptions. But an average of 6.1 yards per carry is something that you're looking to stop as a front seven. So talk to me about what that front seven could do to help slow down Jonathan Brooks in this rushing attack of the Longhorns. If you, if you look at Jonathan Brooks, and he's only a sophomore having such success in a conference like the Big 12, another running back in these long, rich history of Texas running backs from the John Robinson a couple seasons ago and Cedric Benson, Jamar Charles, and you know, Ricky, I mean, Williams. Ricky Williams. The list goes on and on and on. So they definitely have their fair share of superstar running backs. And with all that high-powered passing attack that the Texas has, they really look to run the ball first and foremost. So if they're able to stop the run game, I think that's going to be super beneficial to them. And like you said, Carson Bruner, probably one of my favorite players from this season period. And he only played really towards the end of the season when he had to step in for Tupatala when he was a late scratch in that Oregon State game. And what did he do in that Oregon State game? 14 tackles, pass defense, pass deflected that led to a Jabbar Muhammad interception and a forced fumble. And then what he lead up with the next very next game, another 14 tackle performance. So he could be a huge time playmaker in this game. And I think you need all hands on deck. Uh, Braylon Trice, Zion, uh, Ula Foshia, and just everybody has to bring that same intensity, that same energy that you've seen in that Oregon Pac-12 championship game and all that intensity throughout the end of the season where the defense was a little different and they, they were walking a little, little different. They had that their swagger back. So I think if they play to that potential and they play with that same intensity and energy, they should have no issue. And I think the combination of a healthy ZTF, who obviously we know had some personal issues with his father passing away this season. Um, he's on the field. He's healthy. He's motivated. Motivated. Braylon Trice started slow, only ended up with 41 tackles and five sacks on the year. But I'm pretty sure led the country in pass rushing and um, what's the stat I'm looking for, John? The, the, the quarterback uh, pressure, quarterback, quarterback pressure. pressure. I think Braylon Trice led the country in quarterback pressures. Um, the combination of ZTF and Braylon Trice on the edges, kind of setting those edges, trying to keep Quinn Ewers and Jonathan Brooks inside that pocket, minimizing, allows players like Carson Bruner and uh, Tupa Tuktala kind of to, to roam a bit and make those tackles. And all that pressure that these front seven could make will make it easier for the secondary to do their jobs because they won't have to worry too much about coming up and stopping this run. So I think that's, that's some of the kind of the, the, the keys to, to victory is what this front seven, what these edge rushers, what these linebackers are going to be able to do. On top of that, John, tell me about some keys to victory for the offense for these Huskies short and sweet. The offense needs to do what the offense does period. 
You've seen it. We've all seen it. The best passing attack in the entire country, putting up all these numbers throughout the season. Um, best offensive line in the entire country with the Joe Moore Award winners, uh, Parker Brailsford, Troy Fontanu, uh, Roger Rosengardner, uh, Kalipo. I mean, all these guys deserve all the awards, all the recognition because they have done a hell of a job. I think they've only allowed Penix to be sacked 11 times, which ranks fourth in the nation. So as long as they're able to dominate a very, very strong Texas uh, defensive line, they should have no issue. They need to, you know, not sway away from what's been working as of late, which is opening the holes for Dylan Johnson, who's been a second coming and a godsend for this offense because everybody all year long was, well, Washington can throw the ball with the best of them, but they're really lacking the run game. And you've seen that, and you've seen them struggle the first few games where they were blowing teams out, but the games were close until the end. So now you add another threat to this offense with Dylan Johnson. It's it's very scary. And as we said with all these matchups against these really good teams down the stretch with Oregon, Oregon State, where – you're able to sustain drives. You're able to hold on to the ball a little longer and not going back to those old Oregon offenses where they would score in 20 seconds and have, you know, be out asked, yeah. and be the, the huge loser in the time of possession, but you're out there scoring points at will. It really doesn't work that well. So sustain the drives control the line of scrimmage, run the clock out, bleed the clock, kind of play keep away because the offense for the other team can't score points when they're not on the field. So as long as they control the time of possession, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be huge, huge in who wins the game. And like Mario Bailey said on our show last, uh, the last episode, uh, the absence of Jalen McMillan was a huge, huge, you know, wrench in the offense. You see Michael Penix Jr. struggle with a few games where Jalen McMillan wasn't 100% healthy, but this is going to be the healthiest this offense has been since Michigan State, maybe, fourth game of the year. So you see Jalen McMillan get back to his old self with 113 receiving yards in that Pac-12 championship game. So they should have no issue. Michael Penix is playing indoors, uh, weather is not a factor. Uh, he has all his weapons to use. Uh, Jeremy Bernard, you have Giles Jackson out there just in case. Uh, Jack Westover as some of the best hands that a tight end has in the country. And then just throw in Dylan Johnson, one of the best running backs all season long. Uh, this offense is going to be scary and not even just for the Sugar Bowl, hopefully going forward and potentially in the national championship game. So you're going to go against a Texas defense who, although they have all this talent up front, their secondary and their passing defense period ranks almost last in the entire country. So it's going to be interesting to see their scheme is going to be interesting to see their game plan is going to be interesting to see what they do with Rome, what they do with Dylan Johnson, what they do with Penix. So, I mean, they're going to have one of their best game plans ever. And it's going to be interesting to see what Sarkeesian is going to bring out there to stop such a high powered offense in us Washington Huskies. 
we know the receiving core of Texas is um, above average, not necessarily at the Huskies level, but still very good receiving core. We know Jonathan Brooks, very good running back. But talk to me about the key to victory of keeping the pressure on Quinn Ewers. The defense needs to make plays and, like you said, put pressure on Ewers throughout the entire game. All season long, uh, the question mark of this team has been the defense, and you've seen them give up a ton of points, give up a ton of yards, and they notoriously have came up with some big-time plays. Although they give up those yards, although they give up those points, they're still able to make stops. They're still able to make some huge plays for this team down the stretch this Huskies defense has given up a total of 31 fourth quarter points the last eight games combined, including shutting out Arizona State, Utah, and USC in that fourth quarter to zero points period and holding those opposing teams on average of just three points in the fourth quarter alone, which is outstanding, which is great, which is the recipe for winning football. Um, and if, like we said earlier, if they bring that same energy with Braylon Trice, like you said, leads the nation in quarterback pressures and quarterback hurries, along with Zion on the opposite side, uh, they're able to create some turnovers. They're able to make Hewers very uncomfortable in the pocket, force him into some throws he really doesn't want to make. Um, Jabbar, Powell, Hampton can get their hands on some interceptions, some pass breakups. They're going to have a very easy time with this Texas Longhorns offense, and they're going to cruise to a victory. Before we do predictions, the one thing that's really exciting me is I'm looking at the Longhorns' schedule for 2023. Yes, 12-1, their only loss coming to, at the time, a top-10-ranked Oklahoma team. But, John, the Texas Longhorns' defense really haven't had tremendous games against good opponents. You have a 38 to 6 victory back in September over Baylor, a 35 to 6 victory in October versus BYU, and a 57 to 7 victory over Texas Tech in November. Every other game, 34-24 versus Alabama, you have 34 points against Oklahoma in the loss, gave up 24 against Houston, Gave up 30 in the overtime victory versus Kansas State. Gave up 21 to Oklahoma State. 26 to TCU. This TCU team was not a good team this year. They haven't faced an offense like what Washington and the Huskies and Michael Penix and Roma Dunze and Dylan Johnson can, can do to them. I'm so excited to see what this offense can do. And I don't want to take anything away from Texas, but. They haven't seen an offense, a well-oiled machine like this Huskies offense. So with being saying that, with me saying that, what's your prediction for the Sugar Bowl, my friend? I'm going to go Washington 42, Texas 24. And I don't think it's going to – a lot of people think this game is going to be close. And – the last however many games and however many games Washington, you know, they're labeled as not that great because they've had such close victories and a lot of one possession wins. But 
winners will always find a way to win. And I think Kalen DeBoer is arguably the best coach in the country right now. And it's a shame that nobody really talks about him like that. He's finally getting the recognition he deserves with all these awards of coach of the year. And even not just him, a lot of the assistants have been winning a lot of awards being some of the best coaches at their position. And I just think Kalen DeBoer finds ways to get his team to find the way to victory. And I think he's going to have the best game plan of his entire life. He only has two losses the last two seasons with both, both came two years ago. So this is the biggest stage that he's ever going to coach on. And I think he's going to have these guys ready to go out and absolute ball out and come away with the victory. And uh, again, I don't want to take anything away from Texas. I don't want to kind of short them a bit, but we talked about this back in August when we did our preview episode going through the schedule. And when we got to about mid-October, early November, when we had a prediction of maybe 7 or 8-0, and we looked at the schedule and it was at USC versus Utah, at Oregon State versus Washington State, and then the Pac-12 championship, which we did predict facing Oregon again. That's a murderer's row of murderer's row, if I've ever seen one. And guess who came out of that murderer's row unscathed? The Washington Huskies. So I'm very excited for this matchup. Of course, I'm nervous for this matchup. But very similar to your 42-24 prediction for Washington to take the victory in the college football playoff semifinal, Sugar Bowl matchup, I'm going to align with you. I don't think we're going to get 42. I think we're going to go 35 to 21. I think a first half, very dominant performance like we've seen out of these Huskies. 35-21, the Huskies advance to the national championship game. Speaking of the national championship game, college football semi-playoffs, semi uh, semifinals, let's talk very quickly about the other New Year's six games, John. We know last night, the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic. We had number nine, Missouri, number seven, Ohio State. Missouri ends up with a victory of 14-3, to led by running back Cody Schrader, 124 rushing yards and a touchdown. We have two games today, one going on currently as we speak, which is the Penn State Ole Miss game out of third quarter. It's 23-17. Ole Miss is leading, number 11 Ole Miss versus number 10 Penn State. Later today, number five Florida State versus number six Georgia in the Orange Bowl. And then you have three matchups on January 1st. You have uh, the Fiesta Bowl, number eight Oregon versus number 23 Liberty. You have the Rose Bowl game, number one Michigan versus number four Alabama, the college football semifinal. And then obviously the Sugar Bowl. Number two, Washington versus number three, Texas. That is going to be 845 at night on January 1st, New Year's Day. Besides Washington, Texas, what other matchup intrigues you the most and why? So that Georgia, the Georgia game, because, you know, they, they had that one loss. They were left out of the college football playoffs. Bama jumped them. So that that I want to see what, how they come out. I want to because everybody's coming back. Everybody's playing in that game. It was a shame to watch Ohio State last night 
because they have so much NFL talent on that team. A lot of the players opted to not even play in that game and your quarterback transferred. So you had a new starting quarterback who was talking crazy about Washington while he was getting recruited saying how he could go to Washington, make all this NIL money, but he wants to go to Ohio state and develop as a quarterback and go to the NFL. He looked awful yesterday and I was happy about that, but it's, it's a shame when the players opt out because you don't get the team's best effort and the team's best perform performance going forward. But that Georgia game, I'm definitely intrigued with. It's crazy that Oregon is playing against a team like Liberty. I'm definitely rooting for Liberty. I'm definitely sick of these Oregon fans all over social media saying that Washingtons are frauds and they've they've only had so much success these last few couple of years. But, you know, Oregon's been recruiting and getting a bunch of transfer portal players, but they haven't been able to put it all together just yet. So it's it's funny to see that. Definitely rooting against them, but I mean it's it's a great time to watch college football. Period, and I couldn't be more excited to watch that game on New Year's Day in the Sugar yeah. Bowl. So I mean I'm excited. I'm nervous. I can't wait. So uh, we'll see what happens. Should be a good one. Super excited here as well. Um, obviously, Alabama, Michigan is going to be a huge matchup at the Rose Bowl earlier in the day on. New Year's Day to kind of predict who we'll see, hopefully, in the national championship. If you had a prediction, Michigan versus Alabama, who you taking? I'm going to go with Michigan. I think it's their time. You can never discredit uh, Nick Saban. He's been down the road plenty of times. He's been here plenty of times. So it's really hard to pick against a Nick Saban coached football team. But I really think Michigan has put it all together finally this year. I thought last year was their year but they, they kind of choked against TCU in the playoffs. But I really think this is their year, and this is the team that they're going to do it with. I wonder if anybody like Mario Bailey would have anything to say if we potentially see a Washington versus Michigan national championship game. I mean, that, that'd be one for the ages. That'd take us all way back and, yeah. and, you know, all the deja vu and everything, and maybe a big receiver – uh, I don't know, Rome has kind of a similar outing that Mario Bailey had in that game. We'll see. Should be a good one. I don't want to count our chickens before they hatch here, but <laughs> we're excited for both college football playoff semifinals. John, before we take it home, you have an alumni spotlight for us. Who is this week's Bow Down Podcast alumni spotlight? I am going to go with safety Shane Pahukoa. He was a four-year letter winner from 1989 to 1992, winning three Pac-10 titles, and you guessed it, part of that 1991 National Championship Washington Huskies football team. He was first-team All-Pac-10 in 1990, second-team All-Pac-10, 1991 and 1992. He was undrafted, played two seasons in the NFL for the New Orleans Saints, playing in 15 career games, registering 35 career tackles and two interceptions. His best game coming in 1994 versus the New England Patriots, recording 12 tackles and intercepting Drew Bledsoe two times. Uh, today, he is the athletic director for the Boys and Girls Club of Snohomish County in Everett, Washington. Another tremendous alumni spotlight. Another member of that 91 team. I see the trend we're going with for our <laughs> alumni spotlight segment. Um, 
Super excited to see what the future holds, not only for this weekend and this kind of next few days of Washington Huskies football, but for what this podcast could be, because there's some rumblings. We might have some other guests on the podcast in the near future. Super excited about that. John, anything else before we take this one home? Just stay tuned. We got some great content coming. Uh, like you said, we have a, a, some things potentially lined up for future shows. Uh, follow us on Instagram. Follow us any way possible. You can follow us, listen to us. We have, we've been having so much fun doing it. Uh, Mario Bailey, that was so much fun, period. And uh, we're just looking forward to it. We're looking forward to the future. If the season ends, we're still going to have some content. If the season doesn't end, we'll have even more content. So just, just keep interacting with us. Keep liking us. Keep listening to us. The number one way to interact with us is on our Instagram at the bow down podcast. John has been doing a tremendous job. Last few weeks, we've been doing some new album covers every day, playing some music getting ready, getting the team hyped for the Sugar Bowl. Super excited about that. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify. We are part of the Believe Network, the Believe Sports Network. So check us out there as well. A lot of content coming your way in the very near future. Win, lose, or draw. The Bow Down Podcast is here to cover all things Washington football for you across the country. So for John, I'm Joe. We're super excited and super appreciative for all the love and support we've been getting over these last few weeks. This is the Bow Down Podcast. Yes, sir. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.